Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me on the program is Orrin Weisfeld, one half of the Off Strip Boys, aka the Olive Garden Boys, uh, aka the Canada Basketball Boys. Uh, I wanted to get both of you guys back on you and Lee Van Osman, but uh, Lee Van is actually off to Spain for vacation. So safe travels to Lee Van. I hope he has a pair of headphones. Uh, because why would you do an eight-hour international flight without headphones? That just sounds like absurd to me. Hopefully, he grabs like the free Air Canada headphones. You know, I was gonna say like now if if he never had them, he has some headphones now at the very least, courtesy of Air Canada. Yeah, because I was literally offering to buy him some headphones. I was like, you you just need headphones in your life. Uh, no, if I was his girlfriend on this trip, I would require uh, him to bring some headphones along. <laughs> exactly right. So. Um, yeah, the voice that you hear is Oren Weisfeld, writer at large, but, uh, you know, mostly these days at Yahoo and at Sportsnet, where he's been covering Canada basketball and also the rest of the FIBA World Cup. Oren, we'll start here. What's your lifestyle been like the last, like, two weeks since the World Cup started? Let, let us know. Actually, let us know what your normal lifestyle is like and then nah. what your adaptive <laughs> lifestyle is like, please. I'll let you know about my adaptive lifestyle. You know, I've always been an early bird gets the worm guy. So this is nothing for me. Uh, No, but it's actually been really enjoyable. I have been waking up at 4 a.m. kind of every other day along with Vivek Jacob, friend of the pod. We've been covering the tournament for Sportsnet, doing these like recaps of what happened, not just with Canada, but with the whole um, tournament. So, yeah, I've been waking up at 4 a.m. to cover those games and getting all my work done by like one or two and then free after that um but it's been enjoyable honestly just to watch all these games and not just canada like obviously if i wasn't doing these pieces i wouldn't wake up at 4 a.m to watch lithuania and like serbia play or whatever Mm. um but it does like give you a, a real appreciation and also just a lot more knowledge about the other teams that Canada is obviously going to have to play as they if they keep winning. So it's been fun. It's been informative. Um, can't complain. Just writing about international basketball every day for the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of really, really high level basketball, really good competitive basketball. And you just see it like Lithuania, they beat. USA and everyone's like oh man Lithuania they have a chance to go all the way and then Serbia crushes them and mm-hmm. it just goes to show the level of competition in the World Cup it is incredibly high and diverse and spread throughout the world and um, it's been really good so far yeah no it's been an amazing tournament I, I think there's been a lot of memories made um, you know some of them are like more meme you know like kind of like Rondé turning into Kobe which was yep. really fun for three games until Jordan went out, but, um, you know, seeing Japan qualify for the Olympics and the run that they've made, um, Dylan you know, Brooks with boxing gloves in the Dylan hallway. Brooks with boxing gloves. I've like, already it, it, seen one unnamed, uh, Twitter page, try to turn him into a villain for that, but whatever, okay. let them have their fun. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the big lessons here is that uh, social media is not real life. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, for Canada, obviously, it's been a great tournament. Um, I'm happy you got to watch a lot of the other games as well because I've been, admittedly, I've been watching like the 10 minute extended highlight videos uh, more so than the actual games themselves, which is a cheat code. But I mean, again, like I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. Uh, all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's, well, okay, let, let's look at the Serbia matchup first because um, that's obviously the biggest, 
theme at hand. So Canada is going to play in less than 24 hours. They will be tipping off at 4.45 a.m. against Serbia. We'll look at that matchup. And then we'll look back a little bit on their wins against Spain, their wins uh, against Slovenia yesterday as well. But that Serbia matchup, um, yeah, I mean, would you say this is going to be the hardest test that Canada is going to be facing so far to the tournament to the day? Because Canada's had a pretty tough road. I mean, when you think about it, they've had to play Spain. They've had to play France. They've had to play... um, you know, Slovenia, they had to play Luka. Like, that's a lot harder, you know, as compared to our southern neighbors in, in the States, for example. The States, like, for a large part of the tournament, had played, like, one NBA player the whole time. And then finally, they ran into Lithuania and they got smacked, um, which, mm-hmm. whatever, they recovered from and they were fine. But uh, Canada's had a pretty hard road to get to this point. But uh, is, is Serbia the hardest uh, test so far? Um, I... I- I don't know. I would say Spain, honestly, just given their historical performance and their ability. You said it on one of the pods. Like they've just been in like the top three forever in these competitions. They yep. find ways. So I do think Spain is is probably a slightly better team than Serbia without Nikola Jokic. But other than that, yeah, I would say they're they're tougher than Slovenia. Um, the USA got incredibly lucky to avoid them and play Italy. Italy basically won that group by you know. They they beat Serbia by like one point, mm-hmm. and it was Serbia's worst game, and, and they kind of dropped it because yeah, I don't I don't honestly know what happened, but Serbia was always the better team than Italy, so they avoided uh, the USA, and now we're playing them. I I think they're really good, maybe not quite as good as Spain, but really really good and deep, and that's that's the thing. It's like they have a lot of different ways to beat you, which I think is something Slovenia didn't have, which we kind of saw. Like Slovenia has Luka, and then they have three-point shooting, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Um, one thing they have a Slovenia, bad version of the Mavericks, you mean? <laughs> yeah. One thing – yeah, it's actually a good point. One thing Slovenia didn't do was post-up, and obviously Canada went to that tiny lineup at the end of the first half. It worked really yeah. well with – Lou Dort and, and Nikhil in the game, basically because they, they could just switch everything and not fear any of Slovenia's players posting them up, really other than Luka. He's their biggest post-up threat. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how much Canada can do that against so- Serbia. They have Nikola Mulitinov, who's you know their starting center. He plays for, I'm not going to pronounce this right, the Greek team o- o- Olympiakos. Olympiakos. Olympiakos? Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's know, world-famous team, morning. you know. Um, no, I know well, them. I just this is already afternoon for you would... if you're waking at four a.m. So, would, yeah. So he he is like a really dominant center, and mm. I think he can give Canada real problems on the boards. He's averaging three offensive rebounds a game in this tournament, and then also just inside as a post up threat as a role man. He's shooting sixty eight percent basically from the field. So he is that one kind of piece that Slovenia did not have in terms of a big, they can give the ball to, to punish switches if Canada mm-hmm. keeps switching. And that's kind of been their best defense so far is this really switch happy scheme. So I do think that's kind of interesting, but yeah, they're a well-rounded team. They have a couple NBA players, Nikola Jokic and Bogdanovic who have both been lights out shooters for them. And um, they they have a ton of shooting. They play fast, which is kind of similar to Canada. They love running the ball down the court, play aggressive ball pressure defense. They're honestly similar to Canada in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think Canada is the better team, and, and 
the pace might even fit Canada better than a team like Slovenia. So yeah, they're, they're a really good team and, and super, super experienced. So it won't be easy at all, but I do think Canada still has the edge in a game like this. Yeah. So it does seem like you're going to have a big pick and roll combination. Uh, Bogdanovich, who is dangerous on and off the ball as well. Um, he's had some really good games. Uh, you mentioned the game that they lost to Italy, which I think was why one possession. Bogdanovich shot randomly one of 13 from three in that game. And I think that was a massive part of uh, them losing that game. But like ultimately, he's been great for Serbia for the bulk of the tournament. He's leading the team at uh, 19 points per game. And But yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that pick and roll action, you know, is going to be really difficult. And I think for Canada, like, um, you know, can what Canada has done so far to beat Spain and to beat Slovenia in the tougher games was to go to smaller groups and switch. Do you think that that is something that can work to their advantage in this case? Or do you think that that's just not simply feasible against a team that can really post up? Because you don't see it as much in the NBA where people using post-ups to beat switches. Um, But I think it's more common, I think, in the international stage where teams are very comfortable playing their offense through different players, not necessarily just through stars. And when they have size advantages, they really take advantage, whether that's through the post or even on offensive rebounds. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it'll be hard for them to switch everything. You know, maybe one through four uh, you can get away with. But again, with Mulitinov, I don't know if like, uh, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander and RJ Barrett, if those guys can switch onto him, even a Kelly Olenek maybe, um, because he will take advantage both as a post-up guy as a lob guy, and then as an offensive rebounder, which has been one of Canada's biggest kind of problems throughout the tournament mm-hmm. is the defensive board. So, yeah, that that is something that you will definitely have to watch out for in terms of they've really liked going to this switch everything thing. They've taken Kelly Olenek off the court when they really wanted to to buy into switching and not get targeted. But I do think that Serbia is unique in that they have this big who can take advantage of a smaller team in a way that not even a Willie Hernan Gomez could. Like, Willie is, what, 6'10", 6'11"? Right? But he's mostly Lindon pick and roll. Like, and, and and he's he not necessarily posting up. He's, like, just rolling, and Spain had such good off-ball movement that yeah. allowed him to get, you know, free in space all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mulinov isn't going to like post up like a thousand times a game either, but he's going to roll. He's going to get deep post positioning. He's going to be there for the offensive rebounds every time. And he's like a real seven foot, which is the difference between him and Willie. Like he's that's just fair. big. So yeah, that that's something I'm, I'm really curious to see if they can actually switch one through five or if they just kind of got to plant, you know, a Dwight Powell on him, a Kyle Alexander on him and play mm-hmm. drop defense more than we've used to being seeing from them. And, and that that's kind of why I have faith in this Canada team the rest of the way is because they can play a lot of different ways. They're not one dimensional at all. They have a bunch of different lineups. We can play small. We can play big. I should stop saying we, but um, no, <laughs> they, I, think they can do... I think it's fine to say we when it's team Canada, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, but they can they can play a whole lot of different ways, and we haven't seen a ton of different defenses because the the switching has worked so well. Sure, but I sure. think that's just because the teams they've played, and I think they will be willing to kind of change it up uh, if they have to against Serbia, and that might mean a zone, that might mean like a drop defense, but they have the personnel to execute all those things. Yeah, um, I, I'm a little bit concerned about playing drop just because I don't want to see Bogdanovic like stepping into pull up threes. 
with some good yeah. screens. But I mean, listen, I think on paper you have Dylan Brooks who you can throw at him. And I, and I think Dylan's gotten better as the tournament's gone on. This is kind of undeniable on that front, especially with the foul trouble. I think he was taking needless fouls. I thought that was one of the reasons they lost to Brazil was he took himself out of the game with some like early swiping and, and, you know, just aggressiveness that wasn't rewarded in any sort of way. I think he's been able to stay out of foul trouble with the last two games. He's playing a lot better. You stick him on Bogdanovich. You have Lou Dort coming off the bench against Bogdanovich. You can cut off, you know, the head of the snake. That's one of the advantages that Canada has defensively is that, uh, you know, we have this like premium wing defensive combo who can play together, which we've seen also more at times, especially when they played small. But, um, you know, you, you can ma- you can handle that matchup. The thing with Serbia that's interesting to me is just like they got so many guys that are very balanced in scoring. We got... You know, like the the point differential, or the distribution, for example, with the team is Bogdanovich at 19, Milutinov at 13, and then Nikola Jovic, um, who is not Nikola Jokic, but maybe going to, you know, Portland, I guess, if if, uh, if that trade materializes. But, you know, he's at 11. Everyone else, we're talking about 7, 8.5, 8.3, 8.2, 9.6, 9.8. Like, they just have like this, this like balanced depth of scoring. And I think a lot of that is just guys being able to shoot and spot up and get out in transition. So they and they also play a deeper rotation with a lot of guys playing like between fifteen and twenty minutes, but at the same time, like it, it, it to me on paper at least will feel like a matchup that they had against Spain, like you mentioned, where it's like, you know, you have to contend with this deeper roster, and sometimes random guys off that Spanish bench was like torturing uh, Canada. In fact, I thought Spain looked way deeper than Canada in that game, but Canada ultimately had the best player in Che and. You know, mm-hmm. um, I anticipate this game being close, but I also do think that when it comes down to crunch time, with all due respect to Bogdanovich, who's also quite clutch, but what Shea has done in this tournament, I mean, do they have somebody to guard Shea? Do they have, like, creative schemes to guard Shea? Because you're going to have to pull out all the stops. It's not so mm-hmm. easy. And the closest we've seen Shea get deterred was in the Brazil game. And I don't know. Do they have anybody or do they have the ability to replicate what Brazil was offering defensively? Because otherwise, Shea has just, yeah. like, literally ran through every team. Yeah. No, defensively, I think Serbia might be the best team that Canada has played. Okay. Um, they're really good. Like, they they have a couple of these guards, Dobrich and Avramovic, who are just incredible ball pressure guys. But, yeah, like, they, they play like a Nick Nurse defense. They pressure the ball incredibly. They double team and trap randomly. At mm. least they were doing that against uh, Lithuania last game and, and had, like, a lot of success. Um, so... The problem, though, I think for them is like Shea doesn't get deterred by ball pressure. He's an NBA point guard. He he can dribble out of that stuff. Like a guy putting pressure on the ball does not necessarily affect Shea that I'm, the way it might affect like a EuroLeague guy. You know what I mean? Just in the yeah. sense that Shea is very comfortable facing the Patrick Beverleys of the world. He does it in the NBA every day. So I'm not sure how much the ball pressure is going to affect them. But they do have like a bunch of feisty guards. They have Mulitinov who's averaging like a block a game. He, he's just a really good like positional drop defender. And um, Jovic is all, also there. So they have a good defense. I think what is curious, you mentioned the Brazil game. You know, what Brazil I think did better than anyone in this tournament for sure is they slowed the game to a crawl. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. I don't know if Serbia will do that just because that's not how they play. They like to yeah. get out in transition and that's also how Canada likes to play. So if this is like a sprint off, I just favor Canada. That's fair. Um, if Serbia is actually willing to completely change their style and just play slow and drag it out, that actually might be the best way to beat Canada. 
just given what Brazil did, but um, it wouldn't really be playing to their identity. So I don't know if they'll do it. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think the Brazilian team was coming from a position where they knew they were underdogs in that way and they needed to. Mm-hmm. It was it's actually one of the first times I've seen in basketball was something that happens in soccer all the time. Like they literally parked the bus. Like they used to park the bus strategy against Canada and it worked really well. Um, yeah. But incredible. I think, you know, maybe in the general scheme of what they can replicate from the Brazil game is that Brazil also really played a lot of zone. Were really boxes and elbows every single time that Shea had the ball trying to attack. They put a lot of pressure on, on Shea. And they forced Canada to try to beat them from the three-point line with some other secondary players. And that's where Canada, I think, in that game shot like 8 of 30 or something like that. Like, you know, it's not too, I guess, uncommon to see Canada shoot lower percentages from three. You know, if if I were Serbia, I'd be trying to take the ball out of Shea's hands as much as possible, throw double teams, throw zones at him. Mm-hmm. Um you know, even if he scores, force him to try to score in the mid-range rather than at the basket, um, he's not really going to shoot that many threes in the first place. I think Shea's only averaging like one three made per game so far in the tournament. Uh, but try to get the ball out of his hands as much as possible and force some of the other guys to hit, beat you from three because it's not like RJ Barrett's been hitting from three that much. Kelly Olenek, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, has been playing less and less as the tournament's gone on. Dylan Brooks has been hot the last two games, but I'm still willing to take my chances with Dylan Brooks trying to beat me from three. Lou Dort. You know, all these other guys, like, I, you know, if I were Serbia, that's what I'd be looking to try to exploit. Of course, that's easier said than done. Because I think actually mm-hmm. Canada's offensive execution, I don't know about you, but it, it's looking a lot more rehearsed um, than I really expected. Um, and I think that, yeah. uh, you know, they find ways to get downhill or, or create opportunities for their main scores um, in a way that's a little bit more creative than I kind of imagined. Because, again, like, this is just a group that kind of got put together. Mm-hmm with like a month before the tournament and you know, they've had 10 plus games now together between the warmups and the actual tournament, but they look, they look decent offensively, which I think is, was my bigger issue rather than the defense. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think, um, to that point, like even more worrisome for me than the three point shooting is if they are able to get the ball out of Shea's hands and like, like, I was saying ball pressure, the other guys, a Dort, a Brooks, a Nikhil, those guys have been pretty loose with the ball at moments in this tournament, just coughing up silly turnovers, I think. RJ as well. So if they are able to get the ball out of Shea's hand and then pressure those other secondary players, that's where I think they can have real success forcing turnovers, making guys uncomfortable, stuff like that. Um, Because, yeah, again, Shea, I don't think he'll struggle too much with ball pressure. But if the other guys are asked to deal with it, they they certainly might but the the thing that you alluded to with Canada is that they've just get they're just getting better and more comfortable as it goes along and you know Shea is the head of the snake and he's the most kind of emblematic of this it just feels like every game he knows where his spots are now he knows when to play make, when to get his own shot. He's just a lot more comfortable in the FIBA game than he was at the start of this tournament, which makes mm-hmm. sense. It's his first tournament on a, on a senior roster. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of what I wrote about after the last game against Slovenia is that as a, as a team, it just feels like they're getting a little bit more comfortable playing international basketball and playing with each other. And that is the only way like they're going to win this competition. You don't win off talent you win if you actually like gain experience as you go and take advantage of, of those lessons and don't make the same mistakes twice. And I think that's what we're seeing with Canada and that's what's so impressive. Yeah. I've also thought that, 
even just watching their execution, I thought their offensive execution in the game against Slovenia was probably their best of the tournament for me. Like we've seen them like, Mm -hmm. like overrun teams, right. Even happening against France in the first game of the tournament, but definitely happening against Lebanon and and even Slovenia, even Latvia in the second half, which was really impressive. Um, a lot of that came from like offensive rebounds or like transition opportunities, which are definitely parts of offense, but are more like sort of the secondary disjointed parts of offense. I think in terms of half court execution, their half court execution against Slovenia was excellent. Uh, I love their ball movement. I love the guys confidently stepping into threes. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that part of me also kind of gave me the impression. I was like, all right, it's such a great relief that they finally made the Olympics and that like that weight is off their back and now they can just play. And, yes. you know, I, I didn't think Slovenia was very good defensively i think they had no rim protection which uh definitely plays into canada's hands because guys like rj for example can get downhill but i mean at the same time like you know i'm just hoping that that sort of ease and freedom carries them through this game and hopefully hopefully the goal battle game um if they get past this game tomorrow so yeah man i'm really looking forward to it and yeah i mean even just reflecting on the last two games that uh, canada's won here against slovenia against spain uh, you know, we were texting a little bit after the Sp- the Spanish game, and I-, I told you like six, seven hours after the game had been over, I told you I was like, I'm still so lit right now, and you were like, same. You know, I cried a little bit. So, yeah, just walk me through the emotions of that Spain, that the, the the Spanish game, and sort of like what it meant to you personally, Oren Weisfeld. Uh, all right. Um. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this sounds really cheesy, but in a way it, it felt like there was some destiny there. You know mm, what I mean? Like okay, just watching right. the game, even that last second Abrina shot where he gets a good luck off to tie the game at the buzzer. For me, it just kind of felt like that was never going in. Like it just felt like something mm. like the basketball gods were on Canada's side for once after like so many disappointing like obviously just like ridiculous results where the basketball gods seemed to not seem to be against Canada. And it felt like in that fourth quarter when Canada was making that comeback, like even it started in the second half when Spain ran into that foul trouble very early on. And then Sergio Scariolo got teed up. I was just like, okay, something like is shifting in our direction with the momentum. And it, it felt a little bit like destiny. Like the basketball gods were on their side. Every shot started going in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. Dylan Brooks obviously hit that great three. And um, by the time the Abrinas three went off, I was like, there's no way this is going in. It just felt like Canada. It was their time, if you will. So, yeah, no, that was one of the best wins that I've witnessed in my life, just being mm-hmm. a fan of this team. And, and also just like everything that I've poured into covering Canadian basketball on this team like it comes with the risk of never being paid off and and like the the woes of yesterday continuing and this team never figuring out how to win an international competition but it was kind of gratifying to see that like okay you know they like everything that has been leading up to this moment actually paid off in a significant way and and everything that I thought could happen with this team actually came true in this game against Spain and they didn't cough it up. They, they figured out a way to win. So it was rewarding. It's also just like you root for these guys once you cover them for long enough and, and you, you know, develop small, but you know, relationships with some of them, like even Mm -hmm. like assistant coaches on the team and stuff like that. So just really happy for a lot of these guys have been there since for 20 years, basically trying to make the Olympics and, and, 
not having success. And and you saw the emotion when they won that Spain game. You know, shout out to Maud who does social for Canada basketball. He made this incredible video right. of like the behind the scenes, uh, basically locker room stuff and the speech Kelly Olynyk gave before the game and just the reactions of the coaches after they won. Um, that stuff was all really touching. So it was cool to see. And, and also it's significant that they are going to the Olympics next summer. It's obviously just, um, yeah, a lot, a lot more, you know, opportunities to, to work and cover this team then. So it was, it was a happy moment in my life. No, I, I trust me, man. It was very emotional for me as well. I mean, I think anyone who heard the react pod after that game, you know, understood sort of where I was coming from, but I mean, I classic think again, react like, pod. it was a classic. Thank you. Th- that actually what started the conversation. You just texted me that out of the blue, but like, I mean, yeah, it, that's kind of how I was feeling about it as well. I mean, I think that, um, it's so much easier to get behind the national team versus like getting behind specific pro like club teams. Um, I think there's just, there is something that kind of is special through it. Like I don't really feel much particular like nationalism or patriotism, whatever you want to call it, like mm-hmm. in general, but I do feel it for sports. I think that's kind of like yeah. one of the nice exercises of sport is that it allows you to sort of exercise and get that out in like a healthy and mostly harmless kind of way um i think that's that's sort of one of the good things that sports does for society in general and i think that yeah i mean for the the, the men's team i i just I, sometimes i feel bad and, and i'm not gonna put myself in this as well but you know when they disappoint and they lose these games like it's always the players that get the brunt of it or it's like i'm gonna blame this guy for not showing up or that guy for not showing up and it's like a part part of it is just look stuff happens in sports right like you're not guaranteed any wins or losses just because you have some NBA players showing up and it's, you know, you're playing Czech Republic, for example. But, like, at the same time, like, you know, I, I recognize that they really want this and their intention is to really make their way to the Olympics and sacrifice and make them, you know, make the country proud. And in the moments that they don't, I mean, it's just, it's been really sad to see, like, people turn on it and be like, make it about their own disappointment rather than sort of just, like, not getting to their goal. And whatever, I, I think that, you know, there's definitely parts of that in, in sports, but I, I think when it actually hits and when it really clicks and, and you actually push through, especially in the way that they did against Spain, like the fact that they were down double digits just twice in the second half, is just nuts mm-hmm. to me. Like they, they're down 10 at halftime. They make this great coaching adjustment. They come back, but then they lose it all again because of Santi Aldama decides to become prime Vince Carter for like five minutes. And then you're down 12 points at the end of the third quarter. You played, you literally came back to tie and then you actually lost the quarter and then you come back again and then you win in that fashion at the end. It was just such like, such like a, I don't know. It was, it was, it summed up like the entire Olympic basketball experience for Canada or just the Olympic qualifying experience for the men's team. It's just, that's sort of how it's been on a larger scale, but compressing the two quarters. So I was just so proud of the team. And I think that, you know, kind of the same deal against Slovenia. Like I was fairly worried about that game just because it's like you got to play against Luca, knowing that Canada's a better team, but I'm still a little bit worried. But I love to yeah. see like how free and relaxed that they were and they played so well as a team. And again, you have Shea and Dylan leading the group. And I don't think either of us or, or Liban um, thought that, Dylan Brooks was going to be like their second most important player, but here we are. And Dylan has been so good the last two games, him and Shea. And um, yeah, I mean, any words for our Canadian heroes? I'm sure you have many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I get to Dylan, just like 
on on that Spain game, there was a moment, I guess, in the fourth quarter where I was like, they have to play perfect the rest of the way if they're going to yes, come back. Absolutely. And, you know, you can again, it's kind of cheesy, but these guys are like so passionate about playing for their country and, and they know the pressure that's on them in terms of bringing them back for the Olympics and for the first time in 24 years. And you just felt that kind of sense of like urgency come out where it was like, Shea is jumping on these loose balls or getting these offensive rebounds. Like Powell is doing the dirty work and Mm -hmm. like guys were just like buying into like a mentality that was like, we want it more than them. And that's what Shea said after the game. Like we just wanted it a bit more than Spain, which is kind of a crazy saying given that Spain's whole thing is that they outwork teams. They out physicality teams. Like they're the smarter team. They're the more experienced team. They play the refs. And it felt like Canada actually like got them in that department in the second half where Canada was just like a harder playing team. They wanted it more. They were super desperate. And that desperation I think comes out of like losing in Victoria a couple of years ago and the feeling that came out of, of the emotions that came out of that loss and coming together last summer and committing to spending three summers together and getting tighter as a group and just like all of that stuff. I feel like, factored into finally getting it done against Spain and then against Slovenia it was looser and I think that's because they now have like a confidence that okay we could beat the number one team in the world we could Mm -hmm. beat anybody and yeah yeah, there's no Olympic pressure but it's also just a confidence that's like of course they talk the whole tournament like yeah we we think we can beat any team in the world but it's one thing to say it and another to do it and I thought that once they did it, it was just a huge monkey off their back in terms of like, oh, we really can compete with any team in the world. And now I feel like they have all the confidence in the world going forward. Um, yeah. So that didn't answer your question at all, but just wanted to say that in terms of Brooks, he is definitely rewriting the career narrative, which I find fascinating and I want to write about this. But like mm-hmm. everyone thinks that Dylan Brooks is this guy who is going to take bad shots and he's going to play selfishly and he's not going to be an efficient player. He's never had a true shooting percentage over 52% in the NBA. And, you know, now I think you start to question, is that really Dylan Brooks or was that the situation in Memphis? A, given that he needed to play for a big contract and B, given that it was just like, Jaw was always in and out of the lineup. They needed offense, and he kind of took it upon himself to do it. I'm not saying his shot selection was great in mm-hmm. Memphis or anything, but it wasn't. Let's feels, be honest, yeah. it wasn't. No, but it does feel like he is. He got paid now. He's on a different team, and it feels like he's taking this opportunity with Canada to kind of prove that that's not necessarily the only type of player he can be, and that he can right. thrive in a smaller right. role. He has a true shooting percentage of 75 in this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to being the best defender in the tournament. Like, it's wild. Yeah, no, he's been exactly what you need alongside of Shea. Because, you know, one of my observations just watching this group of players, well, obviously a lot of them are NBA players, and I'm pretty familiar with them just based on that. But even watching them closely in this team context, I understand a little bit more of, like, what makes RJ Barrett successful and sort of the game that he has to Mm -hmm. play and, um Shea as well and I think that Shea's so good and he's so aggressive and I've made this point a couple times but it's like a little bit hard to play off of him because you don't know when he's going to pass you the ball or when he's going to beat his guy and like the making a next pass and I think he's gotten better at times in the course of the tournament trusting guys and I think Slovenia was a good game where he really made passes early and quick but like Mm -hmm. 
he typically doesn't do that. And so it's been a little bit hard for other guys to sort of play off of him. Like, I don't think there's a particular chemistry, for example, in terms of like additive sort of benefits of RJ playing with Shea. Like, you know what I mean? There's not, there's not something inherently in their two games that clicks that they make each other better or amplify each other's games. But I think there has been that with Dylan Brooks. I think Dylan Brooks has really come in and made himself like, obviously in, you know, excellent on defense, which is exactly what we expected. He's for the most part avoided the extra stuff. I mean, I, he did get himself ejected the last game, but you know, I think the referee kind of just like had enough in the second half. And he was like, all right, listen, <laughs> you guys say anything else. You guys do one more thing. I'm going to eject you. And he ejected Dylan. And then a minute later he ejected Lucas. So, I, you know what, honestly, if that's if that's the standard you want to hold, if that's how you want to carry it, like that, I'll, I'll actually ap- appreciate the consistency on that front, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like Dylan has, for the most part, been really disciplined, turned down shots. He's been really good in terms of his uh, discipline. And it got to the point where even in the Slovenia game, I was like, yo, I kind of wish you took that shot. Like, why did you turn that shot yeah. down? It got to the point where I'm like, I actually want Dylan to shoot a little bit more, but he's been so selective with it. And then in the opportunities he's had it, He's knocked them down. I mean, like the last game, the game where the, the play that he got ejected on, where after he talked with trash, he did a sidestep to the left, thirty foot three pull up, and he made it. And mm-hmm. like, that's to me, like it's just yeah. I mean, like for a guy, I think he just deserves it. You know what I mean? Like for all that he does on defense, I hope that he's able to have some success on offense. And the fact that he's having a true shooting of seventy five, I mean, it's come at a really crucial time. If he doesn't make all the shots. They can lose us to Spain, and we're once again looking at a situation where, like, oh my God, this team's a disappointment. Canada basketball is doomed. Blah 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 blah. He saves us from that. Like, I, I kept yeah. making these analogies to the, the Raptors championship run, but he's basically been Serge Ibaka in that game seven, right? Obviously, Kawhi was Kawhi. Kawhi was Shea in this case, and he was doing all the scoring, doing everything he can. But you need somebody else to step up, and that three that he made to, to tie the game reminded me of the random three that Serge made in Ben Simmons' face. He just pulled up in his face and made it. And in that game, similar to the Canada game, everyone was so tight. Everyone was, like, really mm-hmm. worried, like, where's the office going to come from? It happens, man. It really does happen so much. People yeah. freeze up. But, you know, Dylan had that confidence. So, I've been really happy for him. And it seems like – I mean, it seems like his the team really loves him, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like he's one of those guys that you love to play with and you hate to play against. Yeah. And he's kind of always been that way. He just doesn't – he has a bad reputation in the NBA. And some of it is deserved and some of it is, I would say, media narratives that got all out of whack. Um, but, like, in terms of playing with Shea, I think he's kind of similar to Lou in his game. He's kind of like a, a better version of Lou Dort, to be honest. Mm. And Shea and Lou have a two-man game that's established. So I feel like that is kind of maybe part of the reason that they play so well together is – it's a lot of the similar actions like Lou would screen for Shea and then flare out to three. Dylan does that, but he's mm-hmm. a better shooter or whatever it might be. No, he's a better um, shooter. He really is. Lou's yeah, shooting Bro- is, is kind of absurd. It doesn't make any sense. That's why in, in many ways, Brooks is like a, a perfect backcourt partner to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Just like Lou is a really good fit. Um, Brooks is just like a super super version of that mm-hmm. but yeah like i'm just looking at it he is taking the sixth amount of field goals on the team yeah Nikhil's shooting more lou dort's shooting more and i agree with you there was a moment especially in the brazil game where it was like five seconds on the clock he passed it to lou lou doesn't get that corner three off right right and it's a buzzer it's a shot clock violation i was like dylan just take a two there like take a mm-hmm. pull up mid-range mm. but he's been so unselfish that yeah it it's almost been 
too much. And then the last couple of games, he's kind of taken a few more shots, which are well-deserved, but he kind of bought that, like he, he deserved it at, at a point because he played so well that he, he started allowing himself to take a couple more shots a game, but he really started on this team with the mindset of like, I'm just going to play defense and move the ball and the rest of it will come. Yeah, I, I also just appreciate that there's been so many moments throughout these games where Dylan Brooks would take the initiative to spark the team. I think he was even against France. Mm-hmm. Canada was down 7 nothing right away. And Dylan Brooks had back-to-back plays where he was able to get out and dunk the ball, I think, in transition. And it's those type of plays where he's like roaring to the crowd and like kind of just like really playing up into the teammates. Because I think for the rest of the team, like it's kind of a muted team, right? Like Shea is so cold and like reserved and... You know, he's yeah. he's not like that kind of rah-rah kind of presence. And you don't really get that from the rest of the guys either. But I think yeah. you, you kind of need a bit of that edge too with this group. So I've appreciated Sorry. everything he's brought to this, man. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I don't want to interrupt, but it reminds me a lot of the Raptors. Like, again, Dylan Brooks, not a perfect player, not saying the Raptors should have gone after him, but he's I mean, exactly we had the him. type. The, the offer he's was exactly... from Memphis. Was was Dylan right. Brooks and like I think two or three first round picks for OG. for OG. That was a reported trade. Yeah, offer. Yeah, and, and I don't. And he's not a great fit in terms of shooting or anything. No, I'm no, just it, saying. It, I'm just yeah. saying in terms of the Raptors, they needed a guy who sparked them on a night to night basis, a Tuesday night in Charlotte. You know, like that's the like stereotypical one that people say, but like they really just didn't have that guy who mm. was like a energy guy who was like sticking out his tongue one minute into the game to the crowd. And like he does that stuff for Team Canada. Like you said, every game it feels like he's the guy getting a dunk to get their scoring going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um the Raptors similarly like were very muted personalities and didn't really have that guy. Yeah. Um I feel like we had that guy not this season, but the season before that, I thought Scotty did a lot of that. Not and, and yeah. not saying that Scotty has a Dylan Brooks like game. I don't think so. But in terms of the bringing that energy, in terms of being in your face, in terms yeah. of like overwhelming you, celebrating in that moment, like you saw that so much from rookie Scotty Barnes. It's true. There were so many moments where he was just like taking over the game and 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 sort of you know in, imposing his energy on the game. And I feel like again, like the best players are always going to be the best players, and you know you know Shea is going to be Shea, but. Even at any level of sports, if you played, um, you, you you need a guy that comes in and just like brings their personality and like gives you like a swagger and like a confidence and a belief on on, on the team. So it doesn't have to be your best player, but you know Dylan's been great. Shea, um, I don't even know what to say about Shea at this point. Like you know, um, is, is Shea is Shea already the best player ever to put on a Canadian basketball uniform? With all due respect to guys who have done it, well, in the I past. wasn't around for Nash. Like. Okay, but you've seen enough. Old. You've seen a, you've seen enough of Steve Nash. You've seen enough of Steve Nash. You know what oh, Steve Nash's you mean, game was. You mean like yeah? I thought you meant like in a Team Canada uniform. Honestly, put that no. aside because I mean I just saw the the stat that uh, Kritika put out um, on Twitter that Leo Routens had put out a pair of thirty point games when he was an eighteen year old. So I'm like, all right, respect yeah. to Leo. All right, I was not familiar with your game, Mister Leo Routens. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I mean, but in terms of just quality of player. Is is Shea Gilgis Alexander already the best Canadian ever? Honestly, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble for this, but probably just because the NBA has gotten so much better than it was in Nash's time, and I know Nash was a two-time MVP, mm-hmm. but yeah. I do think the quality of the league has gotten significantly better, and Shea was, you know, a top five MVP guy, right? So yeah. 
he's he's kind of right there. But when it's all said and done, I definitely think Shea will be the greatest Canadian to ever put it on. I think he could win an MVP as soon as this season. Honestly, like wow. If 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 OKC has a good season, they get off to a good start, they make a win now move at the trade deadline, and they're a top four seed. Why can't Shea be the MVP of this season? You know, to sure. me, there's yeah, there's nothing sure. stopping him. He's the best player in this tournament. He's going to win MVP. I would say even if Canada doesn't uh, get a medal at this point, who's going to win MVP over him? Luca's out. You're not giving it to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, with all due respect, he's coming off the bench. Maybe Anthony. Their best player is coming off the bench. Yeah, I think Halliburton's been better, but yeah, yeah like I, I just think Shea is so clearly in the driver's seat to win the MVP of the World Cup, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like again, I wasn't around for Nash, but Shea, it, it's kind of hard to believe that someone would be significantly better than the way Shea's playing right now. Yeah. And it, the reason I'm asking is like, I, I think that people, I think it just kind of puts everything into a bit of a perspective or a reference point. Cause I know for me, like Steve Nash is a huge reference point. Like he was my first favorite um, NBA player. He was my first, honestly, a lot of the reason I got into basketball was because of Steve Nash and what he did with the Suns. I think that put him on Canadian television a lot. I remember just watching all the time, um, you know, watching the score and watching like the highlight packs that they would put out and steve nash was like one of the nba players that was consistently in those packs and i thought the score did a really good job ahead of the time in terms of just like covering basketball in canada in the first place on tv but um i my impression as a kid was just like i gotta stick around for another 20 minutes because i want to watch steve nash and if that means i gotta watch like 16 baseball highlights and uh you know 20 hockey highlights i will do that to watch steve nash so like this is not me coming from a position of sort of trying to like discredit what steve nash did like i love steve nash like he, i would i wanted the raptors to sign him even back then when it all worked it all it all worked out and we got kyle larry as a plan b and obviously that became just like the best thing in the world to have kyle on the roster but i, I i'm familiar with steve nash's game and i appreciate it so much but obviously they're very different players steve was a generational passer uh, much better jump shooter um especially from three than than shay but I think in terms of like in terms of the scoring, in terms of the defensive impact that Shea's been able to make, because I think that's been underrated too. In the end of the Spain game, it was Shea that created the yeah. steal slash deflection slash block. It was kind of like an in between of all three. Um, mm-hmm. Right after he took the lead, it was in the last minute he took the lead with the with the step back jumper, and then he blocked the shot the next play down and secured possession for Canada, and then he got intention to foul. Like he literally won the game on both ends of the floor, on first on offense, then on defense. And then in the last game against Slovenia, I mean, the game was already kind of won, but Slovenia was making a comeback. They actually played better without Luka on the floor, which is kind of surprising. Um, mm-hmm. But they were making that comeback. Canada was missing all these threes, and Shea gives an opportunity where he, he skies with his defensive rebound, then goes back the other way. Uh, he sets up a three, doesn't go, but you know, the ball bounces back to him, and then he strives in for an and one. Misses the and one free throw, but still a, 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 a key bucket there. Then they go back the other way. Shea's somehow the low man on the helper, and, and he comes over and, and contests on the shot. Nearly blocks the shot, but changes it so much that it becomes this wild layup attempt that has no chance of dropping. Then the ball gets back to Shea on offense. He sets up an open three. He doesn't go in. Rebound comes back to him. He hits on the, He shoots a three. He doesn't go in. The ball bounces back to him, and then he gets an offensive rebound under the basket to draw the foul. Like, He's making two-way sequences that I, quite frankly, I, I don't ever have never seen that from Steve. Like Steve, aside from taking some charges, yeah. was never that good defensively. And in terms of the scoring, 
Shea is levels above what 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 Steve was as a scorer. Now Steve was more efficient as a scorer, but I also think that if, even reflecting back on that era of basketball, one of the good things that Steve really brought to the game and the reason he changed it was um, him along with the sons of Mike D'Antoni. They brought in that fast paced spread pick and roll basketball that essentially is like all of basketball nowadays is that right. And he and that team was the first to do it. So they kind of had like an innovative edge in addition to the fact that, you know, they were also excellent at it. I'm not trying to take away credit for that, but they were kind of the first to kind of do it. That kind of like really elevated his game in that kind of way because they had the innovative edge with 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 Shea. I I just feel like in terms of as a quality of a basketball player, like they're again, they're totally different. Steve is undeniably a better passer. He's like top five passer I've ever seen in my life. And I don't think I'll ever take him out of that top five. But yeah, I mean, to me, I think Shea is already a better basketball player than Steve, which is kind of nuts to say. And, of course, Steve has those two MVP trophies. That's not probably not going to be the case for Shea in the course of his career. I'm not trying to doubt him, but it's very hard to be a two-time MVP nowadays. Mm-hmm. But just to me, quality basketball player-wise, I think Shea has Steve narrowly edged out. And that's nuts to me. I feel so blessed to have watched so much great Canadian talent in my lifetime because I never thought anyone would approach what Steve did. But yeah, Shea's different, and man. He's different. No, he... I think the most impressive part of this for me has been just like how comfortable again he's become with the FIBA game. It kind of shows just how smart he is and how quickly he can pick things up. Because I remember coming into the tournament, seeing some tweets like, here's a list of players who struggled in their first, you know, senior men's event. And it was the superstars, you know, it was a lot of American superstars that would have never you would have never guessed. And and I was like, yeah, but, you know, Shea has a little more experience than those guys. He sat on the bench in 2016. You know, um, Joe Rasso just put out an interesting thing on Twitter and saying that he trained with Steve Nash every morning, who at the time was, I think, the general manager of that team. Mm-hmm. Shea was training every morning with him. So even wow. though he wasn't playing in 2016, he was taking that opportunity to, to train with Nash. Um, and yeah, he's just gotten so much more comfortable as this tournament has gone on, which really makes you kind of scared for what he could be in terms of when he's 28 playing FIBA, you know, Mm -hmm. just like if this is the progression he makes in one tournament from not really knowing where to get his shots off, not really having proper spacing on the floor to now. And and also I I thought early in the tournament, not really figuring out how to balance his own offense with the playmaking. You know, in the Brazil game, I thought he mm. he got the ISO game going too early and didn't get his teammates involved enough. Um, that hasn't been a problem these last couple of games. He's really figured out all that stuff. So it just makes you kind of excited about what he could do in the future. Right. And if we're going to compare him to Nash again, like the thing Shea has that Nash didn't have, in addition to what you're saying with like, he has the size and athleticism to make these plays on defense. And also the, the reads are really smart in terms of yeah how he broke up that lob and stuff he's just reading the play well ahead of time as mm. a defender you know i thought i think the most underrated swept under the rug play of the whole tournament and it's because he hit that step back jumper shortly afterwards but to tie that spain game at 80 80 he had an insane dribble combo and for the and one right where he yeah. he goes like between his legs crossover he he snakes between like three guys and then the righty reverse layup for the and one to tie the game at 80. That was like the quintessential Shea Gilgis Alexander play where there's nothing there. There's three defenders. He puts them all off balance with his herky jerky, you know, 
kind of hesitation dribble and then he goes all the way to the rim and it's just like oh my god no one no one in the world can really make that play beside him yeah no i mean it, it's seriously like it, it's it's given me like a even bigger appreciation for shea obviously i was a huge fan of his game already but seeing him on this level where he has to do pretty much all of these things to put canada in the advantage that they're in right now and the position they're in right now it's like you know, it, it reminds me of that old Kevin Harlan thing where he's like, oh, he gives you a move with every part of his body. It's like it's like it, it really does that. Like it's the same way where when you watch like um, like those old Vince Carter tapes and it's like he's just jumping up there and he's like, yeah, I, I, you're going to jump, but I'm going to keep jumping and I'm going to still be in the air and you're going to be landing and then I'm going to dunk on you in that in that, you know, differential in that time. Right. And there's those like next level athletic, uh, athletes where. You could definitely see it a lot more when it's like a vertical athlete. I think with Shea, he has that ability where it's like, okay, I'm going to make my move and I'm going to see how you adjust. And I'm going to have every counter in the book because I have the ability to move and step in in a way that like makes everyone else look silly. You know, and it's, it's yeah. another play that, you know, was impressive was that Slovenia game. Uh, the rebound comes out to Shea and I think it was like the start of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And Shea's getting on the fast break. And every every team is coming with the emphasis of, like, don't let Canada get on the fast break. Easier said than done. You had Slovenia with the defender trying to take an intentional foul with two hands in the backcourt. Shea goes behind his back and just eludes him. Like, it's like the Matrix or something. And then in getting into the front court before the three-point line, another defender tries in and reaches in on Shea. Does actually get a reach in. Doesn't get the call. But Shea had already he had picked up the ball at that exact moment, one, two-step, and then got to the rim for a layup all full speed in transition, but he moved laterally and had the handles to sort of facilitate that movement laterally. It, it's it's amazing watching him. He's like, his lateral movement as an as an athlete is ridiculous. And he's also really quietly very strong as well to be able to like get to his spots even through a bump as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's mm-hmm. just, it's it's been, it's been amazing watching Shea. I, I, I will... I, I need him on the Raptors, man. I need to watch this every day. You know what I mean? Like, I need 82 no, I games of this. I can't even talk time. about it. can't talk I mean, about it. Here's it the thing with Shea. Like, he's just under contract for a long time, right? And if he ever hits free agency or unrestricted free agency, he will be um, the high, like one of the highest thought after free agents on the market at that point. And so it's not, uh, it's not entirely feasible that, you know, the Raptors even get a chance at him in, even in his prime. Yeah, he's locked under. He's under contract, fully guaranteed until twenty twenty seven. Yeah, and if he makes one more All NBA team next season, I was just listening to someone. Then he'll have made two in a row, and he'll be eligible for a super max, like the two hundred eighty okay. million dollar one. So if he OKC signs a super max, he might he might be under contract until like he won't. We might not hit for agency until he's like twenty nine. Mm. But Maybe we also 30. know that it's it's trades now. It's not really it's trades. You're right. If if Shea asks out, then they'll probably trade him. But uh, as I would need him to ask out specifically winning, to Toronto, though. Well, yeah, yeah you're right. that would yeah. probably have to be the way. Yeah. God, I just <laughs> imagine <laughs> having now, him though. on the roster like consistently, man. It would be just nuts because, yeah. yeah, this whole experience. I think everyone's gotten a chance to to really see his game. Um, are there any secondary like yeah. other other guys you want to spread the Dwight Powell gospel to the biggest Dwight Powell hater? Um, is that are you uh, interested in that? I, I've already done the Dwight Powell gospel, but he's mm-hmm. definitely been a very important player for them, especially with Olenek struggling as much as he has. Just Dwight has been on the floor a ton, 
and um, obviously not a big scorer, but just the defense, I think, is uh, is crucial. I just think they don't have any bigs who do what he does on defense. Right. And it's been very good. And then I also think um, Lou Dort and Nikhil Alexander-Walker deserve a lot of love. Like, it wasn't oh, yeah. Lou's best game last game, but they've consistently impressed me in this tournament, coming off the bench, providing a spark, um, shooting the ball really well, especially Nikhil, and defense. Like, I didn't even know Nikhil could play this good defense. I knew it with Lou, but wow. Mm-hmm. They they come in the game, and they just really muck things up for the other team's ball handlers. Right. So, yeah, I think those those three guys have been really good, and that's, again, why you have confidence in this Canadian team. It feels like as much as Shea is getting better and all that, the role definition is just getting clearer by the game. Guys know exactly what they have to do to succeed. RJ, he needs to get out on the break and finish plays. You know, Brooks doing what he does, Powell, Nikhil. All these guys just feel like they're comfortable in their roles now. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's just that's credit to Jordy too. As this tournament has gone on, they've really figured that aspect out, and and everyone's playing for each other, and and for the team. And um, yeah, it just it looks really good right now. That's all you can ask for. That's really all you can ask for. Um, okay, I'm gonna pivot over to to some really quick Raptors news. Just not much going on. Um, There's Raptors news. Well, I've done my best to aggregate all of it and just to put it all in one spot so um let's start with the good news so pascal siakam has set up another scholarship fund the 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 ps43 foundation is teaming up with a university of new brunswick's uh, mckenna institute and the river philip foundation together they're putting 20 two hundred thousand dollars towards a new tech focused scholarship to students from uh, siakam's birth country of Cameroon, which uh, I think that's an awesome initiative. I think that this is, at least to my knowledge, the third um, academics-based scholarship that Pascal has put together in the last like two years here. Um, Last year, he also set up a uh, scholarship with the Metropolitan University um, Law Program, Mm -hmm. uh, which was great. And, And then last summer, I remember he also handed out like 150 laptops to middle school students uh in the regent park area so honestly I, I just feel like we just don't highlight enough across the board like just the initiatives and the community initiatives that uh, the players try to get involved in and um yeah. it's been weird i haven't even seen the raptors post about it i mean that's strange uh but regardless like right <laughs> you, that's very strange but uh yeah i mean i think it's just great yeah. i mean the fact that these people are putting investments back into me and i don't know if people who are cynical are gonna be like well come on like he makes like 30 million dollars so what he donated 200k um Okay, but I mean, at the same time, like I think for a lot of people, they are not even this charitable. And I think that for Pascal, there's a clear initiative. This is this is three different education based programs um, that he's put up here. So I think it's just a great way to give back. And uh, yeah, shouts to any any of the athletes here that want to give back to the community. You know? No, yeah, Pascal deserves a ton of credit for just the way that he carries himself as a player off the court with all these initiatives that he's done. It's not about money. I think it's about time, right? Like it takes a lot of time to figure out these partnerships. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And just a desire to give back. And on the same note, 
yeah, like we definitely should give more love to these guys for the initiatives they do off the court. I've seen like all of them hosting basketball camps, which is really cool. I know Precious was in Nigeria doing one. I know Pascal was in Cameroon doing a basketball right. camp. Gary had a basketball camp. In Ohio, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm probably missing a, a few. But Well, I mean, Masai did the whole Giants cool. of Africa 20-year celebration, Festival, which yeah. was awesome. That looked yeah. crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's – it's a. Uh, you know, I think yeah, it, that that's that's been great. That's a positive news. Um, you want some more Pascal news? Um, in Ramona Shelburne's piece on James Harden, oh the whole God. situation yeah, there. I just read that. There was a detail that she put in there. So, um, so apparently, um, Adam Silver, uh, was prepared to name Harden as an injury replacement to the All Star game. Um, sources said Harden had just just had to give assurance that he would you know show up and play the game. Days went by without Harden's answer. He was pouting. By the time Harden sent word that he would accept the invitation, Silver had moved on, naming Toronto Raptors forward Pascal Siakam as the replacement for an injured Kevin Durant. This was the past uh, this past year's All Star game that took place uh, in Utah. Um, yeah, Oren, your thoughts on on that? Because I have some thoughts on that too. But uh, your, your thoughts on that? That was just mean from Ramona. Just an unnecessary stray shot for Pascal. Um, Especially if he didn't know that before and he just found out that he was the second replacement option. Mm. That's got to hurt. But um, yeah, that was the only thing I really thought about that was that whole that whole Ramona piece was just messy. She's just uh, stirring. That's her job. I'm not saying she shouldn't, but man, just like reading that, I was just like, ooh, oh, yeah. this, this is a messy situation. No, no. Shasta Ramona, uh, just, you know, very good at getting a lot of insight, uh, especially around the star players and all that kind of stuff. But I, my only thing with that is just like uh, Pascal's all numbers at the All-Star break were 25.2 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 6.1 assists uh shooting 48 percent from the field so i mean i don't i don't really see this as a charity like nomination i mean i think the raptors weren't doing well as a team and he he was out for nine games which you know if you want to disqualify him based on that i mean i totally understand we've seen players like a trey young for example who have had great numbers but not been in a winning position and been not including an all-star facilities all that kind of stuff. I, I, again i totally get it but i mean like we're talking about 25 8 and 6 like yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I I thought it was fair, but uh, uh, yeah, the Harden situation though, that's 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 kind of messy. I, we also saw Harden put out a okay. post, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, who are these reporters or whatever?" Blah blah blah. Maybe I should start reporting stuff. Which uh, James Harden, I would very much invite you to report more stuff on the situation in Philadelphia, man. Just don't like. Well, I mean, who cares if you incriminate yourself at this point? But like. Spill the tea, James Harden, because I feel like he's very like he's he's definitely the the wild card right now in the NBA. Like I, I believe anything that James Harden will do next, you know. He he poked back at the Ramona piece. Yeah, he I put out an it. IG story or something like that. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll find the exact quote. Hold okay. On. Well, yeah, reading that piece though, my main takeaway, and I'll admit right now, it might be biased because I'm not a huge Daryl Morey guy, never have been. But I was reading that piece and I was just like. Daryl Morey is not very good at his job. Like, mm. that was my takeaway. It's just like, how do you have no communication with your star player? I get it. You don't want to be fined or, or penalized again for tampering after what happened last summer. But that doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk to James Harden. 
and tell him that, okay, we're going to give you an offer, but we're, we can't, you know, show it to you until the official free agency period starts. Like it feels like James Harden was mad because there was no communication. And what is your job as a president of the team? It's to communicate with your guys and, and uh, make sure you're all on the same page. So I felt like reading that piece, I was just like, all right, Daryl Morey just screwed the pooch on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, definitely. And I think that, I mean, for, for us, I think we're just kind of like hoping that this team um, falls apart just because they're, you know, in the division, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, also they're yeah. just not that likable. So I'm not going to be shedding no tears if this team fell apart, which uh, they're not. And and look, yeah. Harden's not the most likable star, but he also really... I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading all of this and, and figuring out like listening to all these analysts talk about what are their options? Do they use cap space next summer? If I'm Philadelphia, why would I not just fire Daryl Morey? Keep James Harden, give it a real shot for a championship window for one or two more seasons with Harden and Embiid because Harden basically said he would play if Maury was gone. He likes Nick Nurse. He likes Embiid. Mm. I just don't understand why they wouldn't do that. Well, I, I think from maybe th- this is just a guess, but I feel like from their perspective, it's like, all right, we've 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 gone through like three different management groups in the last five years or so yeah. since like from like Sam Hinkie to Brian Colangelo to like Elton Brand slash like uh, isn't their head coach but wasn't Brett Brown also kind of like deciding rosters for a while for like a minute yeah yeah and then it's like now we have like the Daryl Morey group and the, the you know he's brought in some of the people from Houston and we have some owners who are kind of in and out as well it just feels like so much change it's like alright we can change again I guess but you know I don't know I guess all of it is really just like the bigger question is is James Harden worse to hassle and I think the NBA keeps saying no so I do <laughs> yeah that no, part I is kind of funny to me but yeah I mean it, it's a nice little tidbit what else is happening with the Raptors um Scotty pulled up to a, a a pickup run in Brooklyn under below a bridge maybe it was a Brooklyn bridge who knows but um your thoughts None. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, still waiting on the Rico Hines footage, by the way. A lot less Rico Hines footage this year than previously, but we do have things like the World Cup to watch, which uh, is, is a lot better than Rico Hines' run. And no, no, no disrespect. Uh, and then lastly, we have Norman Powell, who was on an interview recently in a sit down, and he said uh, his quote on getting traded from the Raptors: "Quote, I didn't want to leave Toronto. I wanted to stay. The core that we had with Fred, Pascal, OG, me." We could have been what the Boston Celtics are today, end quote. Your thoughts, Orn? No, that was interesting. And I think there's a sliver of truth in the fact that if Toronto had Powell instead of Gary the past couple seasons, they would actually be significantly better. I think that that would have made actually a pretty big difference when you look at how much their bench struggled, how much they struggled for scoring, and just how much of a polished player Powell is compared to Gary. Mm-hmm. But like, make no mistake, Powell was never taking this team to like championship contenders if they kept the core together. The problem was that OG and Fred, you know, I think if if we want to look back on this era, if you will, and and you know, I think the problem was that OG and Fred never took the steps required to be number two and three options on championship teams. And yeah. Masai and Bobby never filled out the roster um, with with the kind of personnel that, that would support them. 
Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. I mean, look, the difficult thing is just like being what the Celtics were. Like, first off, actually, definitely appreciate Norm. Definitely, I think he's been very, very on record, very clear about his love for Toronto. I still remember the Players Tribune article that he put out, which afterwards, which was very, very nice, and um, I think it really came from the heart. A lot of those Players Tribune articles I read with mm-hmm. a bit of skepticism, just or cynicism. I would say is probably the better word, just because it's like. You know, is, is, is it for your brand? Is it for your thing? Like, I thought the Norm one was really from the heart and really, really, um, you know, came from from a true and honest place of love. And yeah, I remember the Open Gym episode. Uh, that was the year they were in Tampa, but he got traded. And there was footage of him in that episode from that trade deadline where you saw him, like, in tears and him and Fred hugging. And I think Fred was also mm-hmm. in tears as well. Like, just, like, the bond and connection that they had. Again, that, that whole bench mob group came up together at the same time. And they were supposed to be up next. And to a degree, they were up next. Like a lot of the guys here, for example, are still bench mob guys, you know, like Pascal and and and, and Jakob, for example. Um, but I think there was a real togetherness with that group. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's the difficult thing with the Celtics situation is just like they had two players that they drafted like super high that, you know, arguably have the same, if not more talent than like, I would say Pascal's better than Jalen Brown, but it's close enough. Mm-hmm. And also Jason Tatum is definitely better than Pascal. And so I think when you don't have that top end talent, and of course, nobody on the Raptors was anything close to a number two to, to, to the degree that Jalen Brown is, um, you know, to be the number two option here. So that's where it's a little bit trickier, but I understand what Norm was saying. And I definitely could have envisioned a scenario where um, they would have had more success, especially with Scotty Barnes coming in. I mean, you know, um, I think what Norm brings versus a guy like Gary is he's m- more athletic than Gary, and he's honestly even more efficient than Gary. The thing is, just, it's just an age thing. I think the Raptors decided, you know what, we kind of want to keep a couple of the guys from the the bench mob group, but we want to go younger and we want to bring in sort of the next bench group, and so. You know, that's the part that has been probably a little bit more delayed as compared to before. Because that bench mob came in and instantly contributed. By the time they were like year two, they were all like instant contributors. And obviously, Scotty's been a contributor in both year one and year two, and a, a, a strong contributor. But like, you know, Precious, has he been consistently a contributor? Um, I would say more so in his first year with the Raptors, less so last season. Um, Christian Coloco wasn't able to make the impact right away that like for example pascal's in the starting lineup or or Jakob even played occasionally like you know can can those guys how quickly can those guys get up to speed malachi never really panned out can he even pan out at to any degree this upcoming season we'll see but if, if again if the bench mob had their version of the bench mob then the raptors would be a lot more successful but i think that's where the, mm-hmm. the interruption happened not necessarily that the bench mob itself wasn't as good as the, the Celtics. i don't think that they were but or i don't think that they are but they don't have those types of support that even the Celtics have, for example. Yeah, so. I, I think those two things are related, right? Like when you look at the Celtics, part of Brad Stevens injecting the bench with so much talent had to do with the fact that he knew that he had, you know, a top 10 player in Jason Tatum. He had the makings of a championship team. And then they added to that every year, trading first round picks for Derek White, trading first round picks for Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. And Masai and Bobby were kind of like hesitant to trade their future because they were, I think because the core of the team, the starters never proved that they were of, of the level yeah. um, of championship contenders. And that's part of the reason the bench was so bad as well. Like they feed off each other. Yeah. I mean, and, and to be fair to Masai, it's like, well, the Celtics guys have shown it on multiple levels. Like 
Jason Tatum was in the conference finals like by year two, and, J- and Jalen Brown was like a rookie, right? Wasn't that the year that they pushed yeah. LeBron to Game Seven and all that kind of stuff? So it's like, you yeah. know, they they're coming from a different perspective. Where when you do that that early, um, and of course they they weren't the main guys at that point. There was you know um, other guys who were around, but like, yeah, I mean. Anyway, whatever. I, I just appreciate Norm's love for the city. I think that that for me is there. And I think that there's a genuine love in that group. Um, and it is kind of sad that they broke up. Like, I think if we just had the bench mob reunited with Scotty Barnes in the mix and Precious Chew in the mix, like that could be a really good team. That probably is a 51 team. That's a guaranteed playoff team for me. If, if we had, you know, Fred, Pascal, Jakob, Norm, OG, uh, DeLon, and then Scotty yeah. and, Pas- and Precious, like that's, that's a really good that's a really good uh, rotation. It's not going to win that many playoff series. It's not a championship contender, mm-hmm. but that's pretty damn good. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, these things move on and um, I, I feel a little bit bad for Norm because, you know, he signed that five-year deal, but he's already been traded twice. Um, and it feels like if the James Harden trade does happen with uh, the Sixers, he'll be traded three times. It's like when you sign one of those deals that are super long-term, but also super reasonable, you just end up getting moved all the time. <laughs> so I do feel a little bit bad for him in that sense, but uh that's uh that's yeah. that's kind of all the Raptors news we have, Orin. So I appreciate oh. you. Did you want more? You sound a little disappointed. <laughs> I know. I don't know. You made it seem like there was a lot. Oh but, no, there's, there's you, you reached. You did reach. I was reaching. Stuff. I was reaching for all of this. Um, yeah. Is there anything else I saw? That's it. That's all that I saw. So, um, yeah, Orin, I appreciate you. Yeah, no I, updates I, on the lawsuit, eh? <laughs> no, no, no updates on the lawsuit, buddy. Uh, I think yeah, it's just I'm waiting for the updates. Uh, we might be waiting for a while, I suppose. Uh, I, again, I'm I'm hoping that this whole thing gets settled. I, I again, I remain skeptical that uh, anything really happens to Darko, but you know, it yeah. is one of the funner stories of the uh, of the off season. Um, how's your CNE experience? Following up on our our last episode where we did a CNE draft. By the way, I can't believe Lee Band took the air show. The air show you made an appearance on this podcast. That's how loud the air show oh was. So, um, yeah. That that disqualifies his opinion, but dude, the air show has been the worst part about waking up in the mornings. I'm trying to do work at like 11 a.m. There's planes just like going crazy, and I'm like, this is the worst idea ever. Um, I didn't realize the air no. show become like had become really like politicized. I, I saw like a lot of strong reaction to people being like, "How dare you say the air show is bad? Go back to your country!" And I'm like, "All right, guys, like, oh my god, really? we're just talking about planes being loud. Like, what do you want? <laughs> or you know, but." Regard, yeah, I mean, a lot of things become very politicized online. Um, yeah, even just me so, saying that, yeah. like, yo, the game tomorrow is at four forty-five a.m. A lot of European basketball. I've, I've been re- retweeted by a lot of. I've been ratioed essentially by European basketball fans being like, "Oh, these Americans, they have to wake up early." And I'm like, "All right, man. Like, so you know, it's 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 bad. So why can't I say it's bad? Like, that's that's all. Like, I get that this is your reality. Cool. Congratulations. Like, yeah. but." <laughs> cool like we're in the same boat here anyway regardless uh you're seeing any experience no that that's funny um no it was really good this year i i went on the scrambler which i wasn't it okay the scrambler wasn't the ride i talked about on the pod with you and lee ben that one is gone but the scrambler was a ton of fun i don't know if you listened to my recommendation and went on it but I screamed a lot like (laughs) i just i haven't i haven't been on a ride for like three four years and i just uh-huh. forgot the the thrill of it and i was uh-huh. i was like this will be chill there's a bunch of little like tiny kids on it like it can't yeah. be the scariest one or anything 
these kids are like so brave these days. They they straight face it. I was screaming mm. the whole time. Nice, nice. Lost my voice a little at the X, but uh, no, nice. it was it was fun to go on rides. Like I went the same day as you, and it was kind of yeah, rainy yeah. a bit. It was but that was perfect for me because I actually got to go on a bunch of rides. Right, because the, the liners year, are I, nuts. I couldn't. The ri- yeah, liners get, get so big. Yeah. So uh, so it actually worked out well, and I had a lot of fun. Yeah, credit to you. The the. So it wasn't a zoo, all right? Let's be very clear. It's not a zoo, but you're, were you talking about the farming exhibition with, like, you're able to pet some of the animals? Yeah, I guess. Okay, because that actually was pretty decent. Um, I mean, it's it's just like a petting zoo for like with, like with some farm animals, but there's, like, alpacas and stuff like that. That was cool. I didn't expect alpacas. Yeah. Get to see some cows, get to see some pigs, some chickens, some bees. It was, uh, it was quite enjoyable. Bees. Yeah, there's a bee farm um, near the entrance of it. Actually, I feel like people just skip it because it's like on the way to all the other fun. Was stuff. there snakes there? Did you I see don't the remember snakes? any snakes there. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, what, yeah there's what also snakes question. in the front. There's snakes no, in the front. Are. Jeez. Okay, I didn't know that. Um. Yeah. No, it was great, man. Cool. Great end to summer. I actually yeah. went to see any twice, but uh, you oh, know, well. that's just how much I appreciate it. <laughs> You're the number one fan of the CNE. They should sponsor the pod. I, 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 they should put the pod as an exhibition. Like, you know, we could be in the Entercare Center just um, doing pods. I don't know what Free we... Tiny Tom's Donuts for the yeah. rest of your lives. The funniest thing is just all the random things that they are selling in there. They're just like, there's a stand for socks. And I'm like, what? Why would I just stop my CNE experience to buy some socks? Like, yeah. Or like the bathtub. You can just get a sauna or something. It's like, what? What am I gonna do with this? Like I'm not here for this right now. But uh Yeah, my dad was telling me some stuff about his experience going to the CNE like thirty years ago. And oh, okay, it, it nice. sounded sick. Historical he said the, experience. Okay. He said at that time the food court was just everyone gave samples because they were just kind of promoting their ah. stuff. So you could just walk in there and get like a ton of samples for like free. Like a gigantic Costco, okay. I'm like, that's amazing. Wow. Wow. The game's gone. You know, this generation is uh, is complaining about the air show and, and not getting free food samples. It's, it's, that's it's... the uh, the only thing about the CNE is there's just teenagers. <laughs> I just, I, my Bro, life, that's, I that's don't what interact this is with for, teenagers. Man. You know what they did? This what? teenager, he just took a bottle of water and just whipped it in the air like 50 yards away and just ran away. Yo, okay. And it All probably right, hit someone. That's horrible. And I'm just like, that's actually what, horrible. What are we doing here? Yeah, I'm just horrible. like, oh yeah, this is what teenagers do. But I mean, I I I agree that that's just a just a terrible thing to do, and I'm I'm sorry to whoever got hit by that water bottle. Uh, I'm not excusing it, but there is like an element of teenage debauchery that you know people just have to go through that phase of their life. So I I hope they didn't do it for TikTok, quote quote unquote. <laughs> but I think you and I sound like grandpa right. saying this. No, you didn't. It wasn't being filmed. Oh, and so, so you got to respect right, it. Cool. I'm just joking. I mean, hey, listen. Um, I definitely did my is, fair yeah. share of teenage debauchery. Not like that. I'm not trying to harm innocent yeah. strangers. More my friends, but uh, you know, <laughs> that's different. That's different. No, that's, for that's sure. Totally Nikki Nikki Nine Door. That was my game. Was it? Were you quick? Were you rapid? Did you have a first step like Shay? Because you got to be quick off that door. Uh, do you though? Who's really like sprinting to their door? It's actually a pretty low stakes game. Just kind of feels. Scary. I mean, even if even if the answer is just like, all right, so I'm sorry for bothering you. Like, yeah. All right, that's fair. Well, I'm um, I'm happy. Oh yeah, I played the, 
I played the roulette game, which I, I haven't actually played in the past, but um, it's the game where they you throw like two balls into the spinning wheel in the middle that has like numbers from one to six. And if they add up to higher than you can bet over or under and the under the line is set at seven or you could bet on just seven. And the payout is just two to one for over or under and then three to one payout for if you just bet on seven. That game's addictive, man. That's very addictive. And you can only bet with fives. You just have to come with a lot of fives. But huh. um, yeah, I, I, I would like stood around for like 15 minutes, watch the numbers and, and just to make sure that there wasn't nothing fishy going on in terms of like maybe the tables tilted or all that kind of stuff. And then I just played it for a while. And um, I think I actually came out neutral on that one. I, I, lo- I made as much money as I lost. So, um, but it was fun. It was a real thrill to it. Nothing like betting $5. Yeah. No, it's the best. Fair enough. In public, it's the best. Oh, but there was just lots of Asians around me. <laughs> just holding fives. Anyway, fives and some Pokemon dolls. But uh, anyway, thanks to Orn uh, for coming on the podcast once again. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, text me if, I, if I'm not awake at 4.30. I'm, I'm setting my alarm for 4.30. you have any tips for uh, waking up at 4.30 other than, you know, going to sleep earlier or not? Nah? Because, uh, ooh, man. It's Honestly, tough. the excite. Well, I, I do have a couple tips. One is just okay. the excitement should wake you up because, like that, that's the how me with the Canada should games. Wake you up. Okay, all right. Okay, it's like you know when you're waking up for a flight or something. You're like, all right, let's do it. That's I'm going fear. to Mexico. Fear wakes me up for a flight, not excitement. Yeah, but there's there's a part of it. It's like different than waking up for school or something where you're just like dreading it. So I oh, do okay. think like there there's like an school, element of it's, it's easier because yeah. Canada is playing in the semifinal. Okay. And uh, one thing I like to do is just have just have the laptop beside my bed. And oh, uh, <laughs> for the 4 a.m. games, I'll, I'll, I'll usually watch like the first half in bed. Uh, in bed. Yeah. Okay. See, I can't do that, man. I, I can't. Why do not? That. Uh, I, first of all, I don't sleep alone at home, so I don't want to wake anybody up at 4 a.m. Okay. So I can watch it. You know, <laughs> can't be like, wake up. Babe, and also no, Canada's playing Slo- or uh, Serbia. Like, that's tough. Uh, but I think for me, it's just like. No, I, I need to like immediately see light. I need to be blasted. Like my eyes need to be like exposed to yeah, a ton true. of light right away. And that kind of like no light at four AM, my guy. I, I know, I know. That's what I mean. I, I got to like go into a room, the brightest room in the house, which is probably the oh. bathroom. Just like expose my eyes to a lot of light. Uh, make a quick coffee. Oh. Drink a bunch of water. I feel like drinking water, waking up is like super underrated. That that sometimes wakes me up even more than a coffee does. I just feel like I get so dehydrated, especially in the summertime when like it's hot to sleep and stuff like that. Like you lose a lot of water just by sweating, and so drink a bunch of water, hydrate, yeah. and um, it's been hot, eh? It's been very it hot, been man. Hot. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been doing that with the games, but to be fair, Canada has never played at four AM, so um, I probably will get up because I got to take okay. notes when Canada plays, and, oh, and, of and usually I'm I'm on my feet by the second half. Like okay. I've been standing a lot for for down the stretches of these games so. i have to like resist not yelling um at yeah. the game oh my god during the spain game i i apologize to my neighbors each of them yo i just said i'm so sorry for what's been happening these past couple days but uh <laughs> I've got my eyes time. are like bloodshot but i've just been crying i'm just like sorry guys they're like, what happened in there? You're like, I'm you like, don't know what this Melvin Edge and reverse layup meant to me. <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. They qualified for the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. So, well, 
this has been fun, Orin. I appreciate you. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. I didn't really give any good advice, but I mean, what advice is there? Early. Just go to sleep early, set an alarm clock. Like, what can you really do? You know, the sacrifices we make. You know, and again, all these European basketball fans are laughing at us. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it sucks, but it turns out the center of the universe for basketball wise is in North America. So, <laughs> what can you really do, buddy? It's. Uh, I'm sorry that this is uh, your experience all the time, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, hopefully, Canada gets through it as well. Um, and if they beat Serbia, and if if uh, and by the way, it's not a big if. Like, like there's a real chance that Germany upsets USA. Like the when they played each other in the warm up oh, games, yeah. Germany was up double digits, and they actually had to have a generational collapse in the fourth quarter for USA to overcome that. Now that was just warm up games, or whatever. But Germany is genuinely being one of the most impressive teams of the tournament. They absolutely deserve to be here in the semifinals. And I mean, Dennis Schroeder had. Oh, that's the other Raptors news. He shot four twenty six. But I actually really like that. Actually, there was a bit of Dennis Schroeder news. Are you busy? You, you got five minutes to talk about Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, sure. All right. So two bits of Dennis Schroeder news before we Oh, move. yeah, yeah. So one, um, this was the game that they played against Slovenia, actually. So Slovenia got out to a hot start by hitting a lot of threes, very similar to the Canada game, right? They were at double digits, and they come to a timeout. And for some reason, um, I'm not sure what was going on. I don't speak German, so I can't even hear what they were saying or understand what they were saying that was picked up on the mic. But Schroeder was yelling at Daniel Tice to start the, the timeout. And the, the head coach, um, Gordon Herbert, who is a Canadian, has played for Canada, I think is uh, he was a one-time Raptors assistant as well back in the, the, early, the early 2000s, mid-2000s. I don't know. Um, he was like yelling at Dennis, like, hey, come here, sit down, come into the timeout. And then he grabbed them. And Dennis was like, hey, coach, like, don't do that. Don't touch me like that, right? You're not going to handle me like that. And then he came back to the timeout and everyone, whatever. That game, Germany actually played fantastic. They ended up beating Slovenia by like 15, 20 points by the end of it. Dennis Schroeder was amazing. And him and Daniel Tice, the guys who were arguing the start of it, actually connected for like six or seven baskets. Him and Daniel Tice have been just excellent as, as a pick and roll combination. Yep. Um, but there was a big discussion online about like, you know, who was right, who was wrong. I think it's pretty clear to me that the head coach is wrong. A grown man should not handle another grown man. But at yeah. the same time, I admire the group's togetherness to be able to get through that, not make it an issue, win the game, play really well. And I also thought that Dennis did a really great job of communicating what his boundaries were of like, hey, don't physically handle me, but at the same time still being attached to the job at hand. So, I mean, I think it's one of the things that happens in sports. It's unfortunate. People kind of go over the line a little bit, but – how strong of a team, like if, you, if you're a strong team, you're able to overcome those kind of small moments. But uh, I don't know what your thoughts were on that particular interaction. No, I also like that Dennis did that. That the coach was definitely in the wrong there, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, just shows the level of maturity I think to be able to tell your coach not to do that. Um, but Jeremy is definitely a real threat to win it all. And They're great. They're I would really be very good. curious to see the game against USA because. The U.S. just haven't been tested that much. Like they just ran over Italy in what was not a competitive game, and and often it's hard to come off those games and put your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think Germany's going to test them in a way that nobody has, even Lithuania, who beat them. I think Germany is better. So that that has real upset alert over it. Although although it wouldn't be that much of an upset. And if I'm Canada, I don't even know if I would rather get Germany or U.S. in the final. I okay, think. all right, come on. Really? Do you think Germany? I would rather have Germany than the U.S. 
I don't believe in the U.S. team. I just never have. I don't know. I, I, listen, I'm not saying the U.S. is like, you know, this is not the dream team, but I mean, I know we can compete with Germany. Like, I know for a fact that we compete with Germany. We played the two warm-up games in Germany, and then we beat them in one of them in overtime. The other one came, was pretty close down the stretch, too. So I, I don't yeah. know if USA has another gear that they could hit, and then they, especially if Canada's playing an American-style game, I feel like the Americans are probably better than that. But, I mean, their run to the... <laughs> their run so far has also been kind of funny to me, man. It was New Zealand. It was Greece. No, and a Greece team with none of their NBA players. Oh, Thanasis. Sorry. But, I mean, come on. Uh, Jordan. Okay. Who they beat by 50. Um, you know, I mean, with all due respect to Ronda, I think he scored half their points. But, uh, yeah, that's not enough. Uh, Montenegro, who gave them an actual effort. And it was a close enough game that USA was able to win. But... You know, that's the first, like, legitimate NBA player that I've seen was Vucevic. Lithuania, who then beat them. And then they came back and beat Italy by a, a really healthy margin. And Italy, I think, ran out of gas in that game. They were, I think they kind of punched above their weight in general in this tournament. Yeah. Um, but I was really impressed by the group. Shouts to their coach. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's like you beat, you know, Simeone uh, Fontecchio. Like, again, yeah. like... USA has had a Mickey Mouse run so far, so I think Germany will be the by far the toughest matchup they face so far. And um, yeah, I mean, again, you compare USA's road versus uh, Canada's road; it's it's not even close. I don't think USA's even played a team. Well, Lithuania's played really well in this tournament. I got to give them credit, but like aside from Lithuania, they haven't even played a team as good as like Brazil or France or Spain, right? Or Slovenia. No, and that's kind of my thinking. Like, look, as a basketball fan, I really want Canada USA final. It's just, it just has to happen. But um, as a Canada fan, part of me does feel like they could have an easier time against the United States than Germany because that style of play they're comfortable with. Like Germany can muck things up in a way that I don't think the USA can in terms of playing an international brand of basketball and and making things slow and just making Canada uncomfortable. If we're talking about a fast-paced game, Canada's been the best transition team in this tournament, and it's not close. Like better than USA, I think, from from everything that I've seen. They just look a lot more in tune and, and together on the break. Canada has two of the best wing defenders in the tournament. USA doesn't have anyone in that caliber. Um, so oh, they, got, they, got bridges. About, they got bridges. Come on. That's true. They have one person. Yeah, yeah right, they have one. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, they have an, an ant can defend and Jaron Jackson Jr. If he stays on the floor, like, don't get me wrong. They have a ton of talent, yeah, yeah. but I do think if it comes down to like a game where both teams are kind of feeling as comfortable as they can in a FIBA environment, Canada is just a better FIBA team, hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, hopefully we get there because, again, we can't overlook Serbia. The other uh, Dennis nope. thing I want to touch, touch on was, so he went um, Serbia, or uh, sorry, Serbia, uh, Germany narrowly defeated Latvia, who were like the Cinderella story for the whole tournament run. I mean, we Canada beat Latvia, but Latvia was beating Canada for a lot of that game before Canada beat them pretty thoroughly mm-hmm. by the end, actually, but... Um, they put up a good fight. They made their way all the way to the quarters as well. And they were, they literally came within a Davos Berton super deep three of upsetting Germany and knocking Germany out. In that game, Dennis Schroeder shot four of 26 from mm-hmm. the field, um, just really was not able to get his game going. And he was really frustrated. He was really relieved when he saw that final shot rim out. 
And I thought it was a really nice moment because um, it was first Mo Wagner who came over to hug Dennis, but because everyone came on the floor to celebrate again, like you, you won the game in a one possession uh, scenario like that. And it was first Mo Wagner, but the whole team then came around to rally around Dennis and they almost sort of like celebrated him, even though he was probably the number one reason why that game was even close um, was the fact that their best player, Dennis, who had been playing so, so damn good throughout the tournament, went four twenty six all of a sudden. But I think that to me just says a lot about a, uh, the, again, the togetherness of that German team, but also be like, it seems like the players in that locker room really love Dennis. And I think that, you know, Dennis is another guy where we've heard reports in the past of like, oh, maybe he's not the greatest in the locker room. I definitely remember those complaints in Boston, for example, or even in Atlanta. I think you heard some of that kind of stuff, but I don't know. Um, seems like this German team really, really has rallied around him. He's their team captain as well. So that was also encouraging. I don't know. Do you have, is there saw a Hawks near your house or something? I said Hawks and then. They called and responded on your end, but uh, I think they're Ravens. They're Ravens. Yeah. They're so Raven. The way they called. Nope. I think that's all. That's all I got. I think that's all I got. <laughs> all right, Orin. I appreciate you. All right, follow all Orin's yeah. work. Read it all on Sportsnet. Read it at Yahoo. Read it at the Guardian. Yeah, follow read me it. on Twitter at Orin yeah. Weisfeld. I never plugged that, so I just remembered. Yeah, yeah. It's a great account. Um, you got <laughs> Sue Bird as. Uh, your header image what's what's that <laughs> about true. too actually you know what? i'm gonna say that for the next episode because uh, this is already an hour and a half and i promised 45 minutes so thanks for listening rate review subscribe <laughs> to the podcast i'll have the reaction podcast to both the semi-final and also hopefully the final as well um so you know let's wait set your alarms and uh you know get ready to cheer quietly in your house in the very very crack of dawn 